The following program is a paid advertisement. The views reflected on this show are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000. Doctor? 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 You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. And hello again, everyone, and welcome into another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. My name is Steve Cashel. I'm radio host of the Chicago Bulls. In a few minutes, I'll be joined by my co-host, Dr. Brian Cole, head team physician for the Chicago Bulls and co-team physician of the Chicago White Sox, sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush and Rush University Medical Center. As always, we're going to talk about a number of sports injury-related topics. We also have our website. Please visit sportsmedicineweekly.com. We're back to get it going right after this on ESPN 1000. That's one way to end up on injured reserve. So is... Falling off a ladder, lifting something heavy. Ow! That's not good. Or having an accident at work. Uh-oh. Athletico helps all kinds of people come back from injured reserve. Schedule a free injury screening at athletico.com and find out how physical therapy can decrease pain and discomfort, increase strength and mobility, and help you get back to doing the things you love to do. Athletico Physical Therapy. Better for everybody. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. Back here on Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning, Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole. Our producer board operator is Eric Ostrowski. Help from Felix Reyes, our coordinating producer, the one and own Teresa Ann Seeger. Dr. Cole, boy, so many hot topics out there, but um, one I love to touch on, and we've got a great guest coming up to talk more about it, is sleep deprivation. You get enough sleep every day? You don't get enough sleep, do you? I well, can never imagine the way you tell me your hours. You know, it's, it's funny because that's one of the questions I get asked all the time, uh, besides how do you get it all done, is how much do you really sleep and how much do you need? And I, my sleep patterns have probably been screwed up forever. I remember when I was a resident at Loyola in general surgery, we used to have, it was in the days where residents would be 24-hour on, 24-hour off. How many years ago? It was a long time ago. So in it, so the way it worked when you were a resident covering trauma at a level one trauma center was you would work for 24 hours and then you would, in theory, be off 24 hours. Yeah. But it was really 36 hours and then like 12, okay? And we used to be in a call room with six of us and you were just waiting to get, beeped, you know, so I, I could never fall asleep because you always knew your pager was going to go off and something was going to happen because, you know, it was a motorcycle accident, it was a helicopter coming in. I mean, it was like a mass unit. It still is. It's yeah. a long trauma center. So, I mean, I, I still believe it was from that point forward that I've always had trouble sleeping because as a physician, you're sort of kind of always on mentally, things like that. But that was at another level, and I always have that in the back of my mind. So I'm, I'm still, I've always been kind of an awful sleeper. I, I get tired. I want to sleep, and I'll go to sleep, but I'll, I'll wake up frequently. So, But I can tell you the nights that I get a great night's sleep, the days are a 1,000% better. And I know it's something that we look at in the Bulls, for example. There's all kinds of technology now that monitor sleep or the lack thereof because, and you know, all these things, the Fitbits and all these other devices, now you can actually monitor how, how, how good a night's sleep you get. So it's really important to associate with a lot of diseases, having inadequate sleep. And I can just say from a basic pragmatic point of view, you feel a whole heck of a lot better if you've had a good night's sleep. Let's put another twist on it. Again, this is Sports Medicine Weekly. Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cohen. Bring on one of the um, specialists from Athletico. Julie O'Connell is with us on the line, a performing arts medicine program manager at Athletico, the River North facility. And our topic, eat, sleep, dance, repeat, the importance of sleep for professional dancers. And uh, Julie, thanks for joining us here on Sports Medicine Weekly, and uh, people want to know who are professional dancers because we're talking about the kind that are with the Joffrey Ballet and the Harvard Street Dance Chicago and Broadway, correct? Yes. So these are performers that, um, you know, kind of do dance for a living. What's what's unique about dancers in terms of their inability to get enough sleep? And what's sort of their current recommendations given the age, gender issues, and so forth? Um, So dancers typically have an issue because they don't really have an off-season. So in a lot of sports, um, you'll see, you know, periods of time where there's periods of rest and recovery. 
dances year-round. So, um, you know, a lack of sleep can lead to, you know, day-after-day repetitive problems. Um, Typically what we see is that the rehearsal day is also different because they'll rehearse during the day and then perform in the evening. Um, So their schedule gets to be inconsistent where they have to be up early in the morning rehearsing and then they're up late at night. And once you've been up late at night and you're trying to go to sleep, you're wide awake. So it's hard to kind of bring yourself back down to get to sleep. What, What time do they start in the morning and are they able to take naps? Um, so they have a warm-up class, usually around 10 in the morning for about an hour and a half, and then their rehearsals go from 12 until 6 p.m. Oh, and then if there's a performance, the performances then are, you know, in the evening, and a performance can be about two to three hours in duration. Um, and some performance days, they do two performances per day. So they're not getting a break between practice, rehearsal, the the show, and, and, and home. That's it. They're basically up. They go all day, and they're physical all day, and, and, yeah. and that's it. So what are you finding in terms of, the, the effects of, of inadequate sleep in this population. Do you find that they get sick um, more? Do you think they're, is there a performance issue? Where, where do you see it take its toll? Yeah, so you see their, their immune system going down. So you do see illnesses. You also see kind of overtraining and overuse injuries. Um, so repetitive you know, number of hours relative to their capacity. Um, they tend to you know, oversee that capacity. Um, when you sleep is when your body recovers. And so if you're always in a state of overtraining, you never really get that point of recovery. Visiting with Julie O'Connell from Athletic. I'm Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole alongside. This is Sports Medicine Weekly. Uh, Julie has uh, extensive experience working with organizations like the Joffrey Ballet, Hubbard Street Dance Chicago, and Broadway in Chicago. And uh, we're talking about the sleep deprivation and uh, specifically the importance of sleep for professional dancers. And what happens, uh, Julie, during sleep for dancers? So typically, um, that's the time for your body to recover. So that's when you can grow and get stronger. Um, You also um, experience uh, memory consolidation, which is really important for kind of taking in the choreographic information that you've learned for that day and kind of um, creating it into kind of your muscle memory. Um, And it also um, helps for, you know, combating overtraining, right? So you allow your muscles to rest and recover so that they're ready for the new demands that are going to be placed on the next day. We talked about, uh, I know Dr. Cole told us, sleeping can be rough for him. I sleep very well almost every night, which is... <laughs> what time do you go to bed? Oh, boy. Never early than 10.30, as late as usually midnight. And do you read, or are you on your computer? Um, all of the above. I'll sometimes be on the computer. I usually watch TV. I love watching, you know, I can watch an old Seinfeld episode. I can watch Golf Channel, you know. I tape a lot of golf tournaments. Um, if there's something good on one of the night shows, I'll watch that. Um, you know, I and love, you go. Will you sleep the entire night? Nothing. Yes, you're good. Absolutely. Never get up. Might get up for a quick bathroom break, like at three in the morning yeah. or something, and right back to bed. Good man, you are blessed. So I tell you, you know, Julie, what are you doing to help these these athletes? Uh, how do you advise them, and how do you get them there? Um, so typically, you know, we recommend that they um, stop using, you know, their cell phones or electronic devices before they go to bed, um, really working on um, kind of their stimulant intake. Um, so avoiding caffeine and nicotine kind of late in the evening, um, trying to recommend that they get into kind of a cool, dark place or, you know, kind of go through some either meditation or kind of calming effects um, and try to get them on a regular um, sleep and wake cycle so that they have some consistency with respect to their schedule. And you mentioned uh, dancers. I know we were talking off air. Really no off-season for dancers, correct? Correct. So, I mean, with a Broadway performance show, they may be touring, right? So now you've got train or plane travel, you know, related to it. Um, Broadway performers perform eight shows per week all day, every day. Uh, Most of the time, the holidays, you know, are not a day break for them. Um, So there isn't a periodization of training where, you know, you're in-season, out-of-season, and off-season. Um, so there's no really time for them to build up and recover and kind of regain that stamina uh, to be able to kind of keep going. It's just continuous and repetitive. 
Julie O'Connor, once again, our guest from Athletico at Sports Medicine Weekly. Uh, Dr. Cole, on this website, athletico.com, sleep, dance, repeat, eat, importance of sleep, and dancers. I also uh, read that studies show elite athletes, not just dancers, but any elite athletes, generally show high levels of insomnia symptoms. Do you see that with uh, your work with the Bulls and White Sox yeah, at absolutely. all? absolutely. Why? Well, I mean, their their schedule is brutal because they have travel. Yeah. And they come, they travel after a game. Yeah. And then they're often sleeping on a plane. It's it's awful. So the sleep situation has gotten so bad that it's it's given rise to a new you know whole uh, uh, set of business entities that. Uh, with devices that monitor sleep under the pillow, on your wrist, what have you, that have come to us to help monitor their sleep. Um, it is, from a recovery point of view, sleep is clearly one of the principles for recovery after physical activity. So it's, uh, it is one of the, it is the one thing that is often in our control and one of the most overlooked, abused sort of health problem that we have today that it just isn't talked about enough. I mean, honestly, Steve, I could do a show on sleep. I don't know enough about it to speak about it in sort of an intellectual way, but I can tell you it's a huge problem for our athletes and, and you and I individually if, if it's not ha- handled correctly in terms of that's when we grow, that's when uh, endorphins or, or our corticosteroids, uh, endogenous steroids are produced and so forth. There's all kinds of really important things that happen in terms of recovery, healing, growth uh, when we sleep as well as intellectual and, and neurologic and so forth. So it's a it's a topic for another day to go deep. But Julie, you've done a great job in giving us this, this information. Yeah, and today. finally, Julie, um, I wanted to ask you this before we let you go: uh, What's the recommended amount of sleep? And uh, you gave us a couple good tips, like staying off your your maybe your computer and cell phone. What other tips do you have for a good night's rest? Um, I think a, a lack of distraction. So you know, putting yourself into a way to try to help turn your mind off. Um, so I think there's difficulty falling asleep. And I think in those kind of cases, what we want to try to do is once you fall asleep, keep you asleep. Um, so I think avoiding, you know, any sort of stimulant before you go to bed, you know, whether that's food intake, alcohol intake, nicotine, um, and eliminating um, any sort of screen time, you know, kind of mindless type of uh, meditation can be really helpful. Why is it easy to sleep when uh, you've had a lot to drink? It's, to- it's terrible uh, sleep. When, you've dr- when you have alcohol, it's awful sleep. That's just yeah, not I mean, so But, you, but I mean, you know how... tired. It does. It does make you tired. I mean, it's easier it's to sedative, sleep, but it's yeah. a bad... It's not high-quality sleep. Okay. and I, I, you know, I, would highly, you know I, meant, I would highly discourage it. You know what I'm saying, though, right, <laughs> Dr. Cole? I mean... Nah, it never happened. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. <laughs> but you know I'm getting at, right? I do We've know what you're getting We've all been through it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not, oh, I had too much to drink. I'm going right to bed. Um, yeah. I mean, I think if it's a glass of wine, that's one thing. But I think if you if you have what I think you're describing, it's yeah. a, it, there's no way there's any potential upside. Yeah, it makes you tired. It's a, it's a sedative, but... Uh, but it's uh, not going to lead to high-quality sleep. No, no way. It's got to completely mess with all your rhythms for, for, from a sleep perspective. Back in our misspent youth. All right, Julie, great job. Uh, appreciate it. The website is athletico.com for more information. Julie O'Connor, go visit her at the uh, River North facility, Athletico. And uh, if you're a dancer, it's right up her alley. Thanks so much, Julie, for your help. Thanks so much for your time today. All righty. Steve and Dr. Cole, back with more of Sports Medicine Weekly after these messages on ESPN Radio. Feeling tired, sluggish, and overweight? If you're looking to lose weight and gain energy, join us in Karen Mulkin's 14-Day Transformation Cleanse. You're going to absolutely love this Whole Foods cleanse. You'll feel great, lose weight, build lean muscle, improve sleep, boost metabolism, and enhance athletic performance. This VIP done-for-you cleanse comes with a 14-day transformation wellness bag containing MCT Lean Vegan Protein Blend, fat-burning MCT Lean MCT Oil, snacks, superfoods, recipes, guidelines, videos, and other surprises. You will absolutely love this program. Sign up at 14daytransformation.com. That's the numbers 14daytransformation.com or visit Karen's website at karenmulkin.com. That's K-A-R-E-N-M-A-L-K-I-N.com. 
Midwest Orthopedics at Rush is nationally recognized as a leader in comprehensive orthopedic services. As team physicians for the Chicago Bulls, Chicago White Sox, and Chicago Fire Soccer Club, their physicians understand the importance of quality care for high-performance athletes and weekend warriors. Regardless of the level of the athlete, recreational, high school, college, even professionals, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush strives to provide the highest quality, state-of-the-art healthcare services. To better serve their patients, they provide expert care across five Chicagoland locations, with a new location in Munster, Indiana. Their cutting-edge research, diagnosis methods, and treatments make them the highest-ranked program in the state of Illinois by U.S. News & World Report rankings. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit them at RushOrtho.com or call 877-MD-BONES. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, when only the best will do. Allosource's products help surgeons get their patients back into the game of life. Prochondrex, the latest solution from Allosource, is an innovative, cost-effective, fresh cartilage allograft designed to restore cartilage and restore movement. To learn more about Prochondrex, visit Prochondrex.org. That's P-R-O-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-X.org. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on ESPN 1000. You can follow us on Twitter at SMW Home. We have a Facebook page as well, and our website is sportsmedicineweekly.com. Steve Cashel here with Dr. Brian Cole. It is Sports Medicine Weekly, Chicago's premier sports medicine program. Dr. Cole, uh, what are some of the top injuries you see in uh, covering the White Sox and Bulls? You know, it's interesting. One would think because I'm sort of a sports medicine specialist and often you have a sports medicine person who heads up these programs. Nick Berman is uh, heading up the White Sox, uh, moving the Bulls, and uh, 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 primary care sports for, uh, for Chicago Fire. We have always have one designated person, but the reality is when you look at the injuries that we see, it's often outside the things that I see every day, and that's either hand and wrist or foot and ankle. Those are probably the two most common areas that we see uh, in sport-related injury. And you have a specialist, right, that takes care of the uh, hand and wrist injuries. Yeah, I mean, one of the great things about being part of Midwest Orthopedics is that um, I don't have to take care of everything, and especially the things that I'm not seeing on a regular basis, nor even specifically trained. So things like hand and wrist, these are fellowship-trained uh, uh, surgeons that uh, whose expertise uh, uh, is just that, and they typically go all the way up to the elbow and stop there, whereas I usually start from the shoulder, go down to the elbow. So it's really interesting how we've become so super specialized. Let's bring on your hand, wrist, and elbow orthopedic surgeon from Rush University Medical Center, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, Dr. John Fernandez. Dr. Fernandez, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Steve? Fantastic. Thanks so much for uh, for coming on. I want to ask you, I'm reading the, you know, the bio here, and uh, I want to ask Dr. Cole as well. You're director of microsurgery. Can you explain that to our listeners, what microsurgery is? And I want to ask Dr. Cole, does he ever do microsurgery? First, if you can, can you define that for us, Dr. Fernandez? So microsurgery is basically when you're doing surgery on, um, on a part of the body uh, that requires uh, magnification using a microscope. Typically, it's a, it's a vessel or a nerve that's, that's literally about a millimeter around or a little bit smaller than a piece of spaghetti. I mean, that's as, that's as compact as I can define it. Well, and, and Dr. Cole, do you ever do microsurgery? No, they take those. They take all that away from me. They bring that out of my room if I arrive. You know, <laughs> that's why. That's why there's people like John that exist. So ACLs are much bigger, and I think the last time I did was with uh, John. It was Dr. With Dr. Fernandez about 14 years ago. He and I were doing a nerve transfer for a guy who dislocated his knee, and right. we were. Uh, was it? Yeah, that was a knee dislocation where we basically took a nerve from one part of his leg and sewed it to another part of his leg. But John did all the, the heavy lifting there. I was just there to hold hold hook, as we say. Well, so Dr. <laughs> Dr. Fernandez has created and innovated some of the advanced surgeries currently pop, uh, popularized by uh, the treatment of hand, the wrist, and, uh, and elbow. So how do you come up with some of these innovations, Dr. Fernandez? And uh, how, long, how much has it grown here in the last, say, five years even? It's it's grown quite a bit. I mean, we you know the the buzzword is minimally invasive, and a lot of it grows from 
the technology that you wouldn't think comes from other sciences in terms of uh, things developing for NASA, where we're coming up, you know, where we where we take their technology in terms of use of light metals and materials. Uh, you know, everyday words like Kevlar and and metals like titanium are then used uh, for our own applications uh, in terms of developing anchors and sutures that you can then use to repair tissues through incisions that are much smaller, you know, uh, basically going towards something uh, like a microsurgery where you're doing the same operation but through a much smaller incision. And a lot of that comes from the newer technology that we have. In terms of the ideas, you basically see a need and then you, you basically try to fit, this, you know, pull something off the shelf that you think will fit the need. Uh, for me, a lot of those ideas comes from uh, tinkering uh, with, a, with a car, which is one of my hobbies, for example, and I'll, I'll literally kind of see some of the applications that we use in restoring uh, cars, and sometimes I'll even use those in the human body. John, what do you think? Give me one or two things that you think have been most sort of monumental and, and, uh, and maybe even revolutionary in how you treat hand and wrist problems now. Well, for the wrist, it would be uh, the way we treat wrist fractures. Actually, uh, just before I came on the on the line here, um, I, I left uh, doing a surgery uh, where we fixed a, a woman who had fallen actually uh, playing uh, basketball, and she had broken her wrist. And uh, literally, probably about eight to ten years ago, that's an injury that would have sidelined her for three months, and in some cases utilizing you know, what some people would look at it as a barbaric instrument with pins coming out through the hand and the wrist connected with a bar. Uh, and now we do it with a surgery that literally took me about 35 minutes through an incision about two inches long. Uh, I did not put her in a cast or a splint. I'm going to see her in about a week. She'll probably return to work typing, writing, driving a car, uh, returning to sports maybe as quickly as four to five weeks. I mean, that is that is truly revolutionary. I mean, that's a, that's a, a complete... Uh, change in the paradigm of how you treat those injuries. And again, that came from something as simple as uh, the development of a, of a double-headed screw that allowed the screw to fix into a metal plate. Uh, and even though we've had the technology of plates and screws for over 100 years in orthopedics, that one little simple change uh, really revolutionized uh, the way we treat wrist fractures. And part of that came from the ability to make that type of screw um, utilizing uh, CAD-CAM design with computers and laser-cutting uh, machinery. Uh, so that would be one application in the wrist, for example. Our guest is Dr. John Fernandez, hand, wrist, and elbow orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole at Sports Medicine Weekly. I'll tell you really what amazes me, uh, Dr. Fernandez, it just blows me away, the replantation of amputated arms, hands, and digits. I mean, uh, I, I'm fascinated. And, and tell us if that ever happens, and I, I'm sure you see it around 4th of July, right, with people blowing fireworks and this person loses a hand or a finger or something. We always tell, like, pack it in ice. But how would you reattach something like that? What goes into it? And, I mean, you know, and I know it's, it's quite technical in your doctor verbiage, but in layman's terms, I mean, what kind of surgery is that? It's actually not that difficult. I mean, you approach it the way you would repair, you know, uh, a, a broken machine. Again, going to the analogy of a car where you, you have to put together the frame or the chassis by putting the bone back together. And then you have to repair the tendons and the ligaments, which would be similar to repairing a cable or a pulley. And then you have to put the wiring back together in terms of the nerves and then restore the blood flow by um, repairing the, the blood vessels and then repairing the skin. And if you really think about it, Steve, each one of those things is really not that difficult. If you cut your finger, I know how to repair the skin. You could probably do that yourself. 
Uh, if you break a bone, we know how to put that together fairly simply with a, with a plate or a screw or a pin. And the same thing goes for the tendon and the nerve. What makes the, the amputation or the replantation special is the fact that all of those structures or systems have been injured, and you have to repair them all. And so it is tedious, right, because you're essentially operating almost on six different patients all in one sitting. And so uh, I've been involved in replantations that have taken as long as 18 hours uh, and sometimes using a team of two or three different surgeons to take uh, shift breaks. Um, the application that we've been seeing more lately in the news is the application of, of using it uh, with a cadaver where you're actually doing a transplantation. So you see, unfortunately, injured soldiers coming back who are bilateral amputees of the legs and the hands and the arms um, and trying to restore their function without uh, resorting to prosthetics. And that's really where the technology is coming in. But the technology to actually put a severed limb back on is actually fairly old. It goes all the way back to the 60s. But the technology to do a transplantation where I can take, you know, Steve Cashel's hand and put it on Brian Cole's body, uh, that technology has been around for a while. But the ability to do it using medications so that, you know, you don't reject the part, that's more recent and more current. Wow, that's fascinating. You really explained that well. But I want to ask you, Dr. Fernandez, all right, so a severed limb, um, we've, as I mentioned before in my first question, you know, what do you do? You know, you blow off a finger, or you, there's a severed limb. You stop the blood flow, obviously, right, from the, that part of your body where you lost the, the digit or, or the, the limb. And, and then what do you do with, with that piece that broke off? You know, it's, it's funny. The, you know, the first instinct that most people hear about is to put it on ice. Yeah. And you actually have to be careful. Uh, we've actually had people come in as far as Iowa with their part packed in ice, and it comes in and it's frozen. So you have to be really careful. We want to cool the part similar way that you would put a piece of meat in a refrigerator versus putting it in a freezer. Because as soon as you freeze the part, just like freezing a steak, you tend to ruin it. And so you have to be very careful to cool the part. And the reason you cool it is it prolongs it, just like you hear these miracle people who fall through the ice, these children who fall through the ice, and they're resuscitated after 15 or 20 minutes of being literally dead. And the part of the reason that, that they're that that we have that ability is because their their body is placed into a hypothermic state, which then preserves it, and it allows us to then reanimate it. And in a similar fashion, if you have an amputation, uh, the EMTs, the firefighters, the first responders typically are trained to put it on ice and cool it. But there's a special way to do it where you would wrap the part and essentially insulate it. So think of putting it, putting it for example, in a cooler, but not directly on the ice. And you don't want to pack it in so much ice that it literally drops the temperature to the freezing point. So you just want to cool it. You're exactly right. You want to stop the bleeding, obviously. Call 911 so you can get urgent attention. Take the part and uh, wrap it in a, in a moist cloth with a little bit of saline if you have access to saline. And then put that part in a, in a plastic bag. And then put that part on ice, but again, not directly on ice. Um, uh, and you should be okay. But you don't want to, like I said, you don't want to freeze it or put the part on ice for too long. Interesting stuff. And uh, finally, uh, for our weekend warrior out there, and again, we're visiting with Dr. John Fernandez, hand, wrist, elbow, orthopedic surgeon, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Um, you're seeing the typical uh, kind of uh, finger and hand and wrist injuries from uh, the guys playing basketball or softball, right? What should they be aware of? Well, the main thing is that, you know, unlike other parts of the body, like uh, a weight-bearing bone, like a, like a knee or a hip, uh, the finger and the wrist can be really tricky in terms of deceiving the athlete into thinking that it's a more minor injury. And most athletes are relatively tough. They've had injuries and they've survived them and they've done well. Uh, and the pain is, is what fools them. 
because the finger and the wrist uh, isn't under a tremendous amount of pressure or weight like a, like a weight-bearing bone, like a knee or a hip. And so it'll give you a sense that uh, maybe the injury isn't as bad uh, because they can still move the finger or the wrist or they can bear some weight across it. And, and so they tend to ignore it. They'll wait a week or two uh, or even longer, and then they won't present uh, to see the specialist or the doctor. And, and unfortunately, some of those injuries are surgical injuries that really require attention within the first week or two to get the, the optimal outcome. Uh, I was looking at the injured reserve list here just from the NFL, and there's literally about 12 different players uh, with the various wrist and hand injuries, they get attention right away. They have the expertise of a trainer, an MRI scan that they can get access to within a few hours. And so they're, they're treated uh, immediately and for good reason. Um, unfortunately, uh, some of us don't want to take that time off to go get it checked out. And, uh, and in most cases, it is a minor injury. It's a minor sprain or a strain. But I, I, what I would tell most weekend warriors is you have to be careful because a minor sprain or strain can mimic a more major injury that actually requires more significant attention. One of the things that I see in uh, that's neglected, not uncommonly in basketball, are scaphoid fractures, which is a small bone in the wrist where an athlete recalls at some point they fell on the outstretched hand or wrist. They had pain, maybe two weeks of sort of disability, and then they go back, and then we see them on exam. We get an X-ray, and there's an old fracture that was never treated. So there's, like John pointed out, there's lots of things that actually feel well pretty quickly, sure. but if neglected, have long-term consequences, which is pretty unique in the hand and wrist. Like, there's not a lot like that, for example, in the knee or the shoulder. When you get injured, if it gets better quickly, you're pretty much done, and there's not a lot you're probably missing. If something in the hand gets better pretty quickly, John, correct me if I'm wrong, there could be a lot of things lurking that could be missed. That's a great point, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that the machinery in the hand, you know, it's designed more for fine motor function, um, and it's not designed for a tremendous amount of uh, weight or, or pressure, relatively speaking. And so think of it as more of a, of a smaller clock or wristwatch with smaller gears versus a giant uh, machine with larger gears. When you have a giant machine with larger gears breaks down, that's going to become much more obvious and it's more catastrophic, whereas a smaller machine can actually compensate for smaller injuries and smaller losses. And so, again, people will get lulled into thinking that it's a more minor injury. Oh, I just, Brian came up with a, a, an excellent example that, that, that uh, it, we've most commonly seen in, in very young males, you know, teens, uh, high school, college age, um, that can be catastrophic if it's not caught early. And these patients will present literally two years later uh, with vague wrist pain, and now they've got long-term arthritis that's going to affect them for the rest of their life. And that's a, that's a great example. Great stuff from Dr. John Fernandez. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. My pleasure. He is a hand, wrist, elbow orthopedic surgeon, director of microsurgery from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole, back with more of our show, Sports Medicine Weekly, after these messages. On ESPN Radio. I've been having knee pain for quite some time and did what probably a lot of people do. I just ignored it and hoped it would go away. After a month, I couldn't take the pain anymore. I went to my family orthopedic. He told me that I needed physical therapy. When I received my prescription for therapy, the first thing I did was search PT companies online. I came across ATI Physical Therapy. It's close to home, has some great reviews, and when I called, they verified my insurance and scheduled me right away. No wait. Everything was so easy, and the staff was great. They kept my doctor informed of my progress along the way. Honestly, I look forward to going to my appointments. ATI made me feel like my recovery was their most important priority. I'd recommend them to anyone needing physical therapy. The experience was something I'll never forget. To learn more about what it's like to be a patient at ATI Physical Therapy, visit ATIPT.com and start your journey to get back to your best today. ATIPT.com. 
Midwest Orthopedics at Rush is nationally recognized as a leader in comprehensive orthopedic services. As team physicians for the Chicago Bulls, Chicago White Sox, and Chicago Fire Soccer Club, their physicians understand the importance of quality care for high-performance athletes and weekend warriors. Regardless of the level of the athlete, recreational, high school, college, even professionals, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush strives to provide the highest quality, state-of-the-art health care services. To better serve their patients, they provide expert care across five Chicagoland locations, with a new location in Munster, Indiana. Their cutting-edge research, diagnosis methods, and treatments make them the highest-ranked program in the state of Illinois by U.S. News & World Report rankings. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit them at RushOrtho.com or call 877-MD-BONES. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, when only the best will do. Allosource's products help surgeons get their patients back into the game of life. Prochondrex, the latest solution from Allosource, is an innovative, cost-effective, fresh cartilage allograft designed to restore cartilage and restore movement. To learn more about Prochondrex, visit Prochondrex.org. That's P-R-O-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-X.org. I've been having knee pain for quite some time and did what probably a lot of people do. I just ignored it and hoped it would go away. After a month, I couldn't take the pain anymore. I went to my family orthopedic. He told me that I needed physical therapy. When I received my prescription for therapy, the first thing I did was search PT companies online. I came across ATI Physical Therapy. It's close to home, has some great reviews, and when I called, they verified my insurance scheduled me right away. No wait, everything was so easy, and the staff was great. They kept my doctor informed of my progress along the way. Honestly, I look forward to going to my appointments. ATI made me feel like my recovery was their most important priority. I'd recommend them to anyone needing physical therapy. The experience was something I'll never forget. To learn more about what it's like to be a patient at ATI Physical Therapy, visit ATIPT.com and start your journey to get back to your best today. ATIPT.com That's one way to end up on injured reserve. So is falling off a ladder, lifting something heavy. Ow! That's not good. Or having an accident. At work. Uh-oh. Athletico helps all kinds of people come back from injured reserve. Schedule a free injury screening at athletico.com and find out how physical therapy can decrease pain and discomfort, increase strength and mobility, and help you get back You're to doing the things You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Steve Athletico Cashel physical and Dr. Therapy. Brian Cole on ESPN 1000. That's all the time we have for this edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. Many thanks to our coordinating producer, Teresa Ann Seeger, our board operator and producer, Felix Reyes, as well as David Cole for operating our website and doing our business side at Sports Medicine Weekly. For Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel. Thanks for listening. Talk with you again next Saturday at 8.30 for another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly, only on ESPN Radio. The preceding program was a paid advertisement. The views reflected are not necessarily the views of ESPN 1000.